and we're going to continue the series we started uh, last week called All In. Everybody say All In. Everybody say All In. And this whole month of February is a series about the vision of this church and the future of this church. We're talking about being all in, what that means to us today as a church and what it means to be all in with God, what it means to be all in with each other, what it means to be all in with your church family. So that's what we're going to be sharing about part two today of this all in series. And we're excited about it. And really, I feel today, um, and I know you're saying, Pastor, you should always feel this way about messages, but today... I feel like there's really something significant about this message, so I need you to really listen today and really tune in to what God is saying today, and I really want you to to lean forward and and take notes and to think about what I'm saying and respond to this message, because this could be a message that could change the rest of our church today. Now, it's not just preacher talk. I feel that strongly. You know I don't get up and say that. I'm excited about every message I preach, but I don't say this is going to change the rest of your life in your church today. So I feel significant about this message today, and I want to talk about this is a move. So let's read James 4 in chapter 7. James 4 in chapter 7 in the Passion Translation says, So then surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will turn and run away from you. Verse 8, I love this. Notice it says, move your heart closer and closer to God. And he will come even closer to you. But notice what it says. Move your heart closer and closer to God. And he will come even closer to you. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is this is a move. This is a move. Now, what you're sitting in today, Church on the Rock, is a move of God. All right, there's three people that said this is a move of God. Maybe you should go to another church that you think is a move of God. Let me try that one more time. The church that you're sitting in is a move of God. It's a move of God that started 35 years ago. 35 years ago. Now, now a lot of churches closed down after a few years, after 10 years, after 15 years. There's churches all over the community today dying. Nobody left. No offense to you with gray hair, but the only people left is some gray-haired people, and they're on their way out. And the church is dying. But that's not us. We're a church full of life, of every age, of every background, of every style. And that's the way it's going to be the rest of our lives here. We got generations in this church. We got a younger generation, a middle generation, an older generation. And that's the way it should be. But this is a move of God that's been going on for 35 years. And we need to treat it with some honor and some respect. Because sometimes I don't think we think that when we come in here day after day, week after week, we just take church on the rock for granted like, like every other church is like us. They're not. They're not. Every other church is not preaching this. Every other church doesn't have the worship you have. They don't. Every other church hasn't experienced the thing that's, that has happened in this church for 35 years. Revival has taken place in this church for 35 years. There's been deliverance take place. I know a lot of you in here have been delivered and set free from demonic oppression. You can't get that everywhere. But you got it here in this place because of what God is doing. There's been people that have had healings and miracles all over this congregation. That doesn't just happen everywhere. That's a move of God. We need to be thankful for what we're a part of, church. And so for 35 years, now that's significant. We're celebrating 35 years as a church. This year, we have been moving in the plan of God. 
But the good news is everything we have seen for 35 years is awesome. It's great. We appreciate it. We're thankful for it. We're not going to be familiar with what God is doing here. But the best is yet to come. And all of this is nothing compared to what God's going to do in the future. Come on, I need you to be with me a little bit more. Everything we've seen in the past is awesome. We're thankful for it. But that's just a drop in the bucket from what God wants to do in the future. So we honor the past. We honor the 35 years that God has done so much amazing things in this church. But we're just getting started, church family. We're just stepping into the best days of our life as a church and the best days of your life as families and individuals. So we are already in a move of God for 35 years here. But God wants to do more. Now I'm talking this morning about this is a move. It's significant because the truth is that God is always moving. Whether we see it or feel it or understand it, God is always moving around the world at all times. God is always moving. He's always speaking. He's always working. Sometimes we don't see it. Now, let me just tell you this morning, sometimes we can all get in this little bubble that we live in called Southern Indiana. We get in this little bubble of just New Albany. We get in this little bubble of just church on the rock, and we think, well, that's all there is. No, God is doing stuff all around the world, all the time, whether you see it on the news or not. There is people in countries you've never heard of having revival today. There's people in other countries that hundreds of thousands, millions of people are getting saved, healed, and delivered. There's nations changing all over the world. Just because you don't hear it and see it on the nighttime news doesn't mean it's not happening. And God is always moving. He's always doing something. The question is, are we perceptive and discerning enough to Understand that God is doing something, and he's been moving through human history since the beginning of time to now. God is on the move. And we see that 2,000 years ago at the day of Pentecost, the the early church started over 2,000 years ago, and it started in a move of God, started in revival. Now, the thing is, it started in a revival, and this thing is going to end in a revival. It started in a move of God, and this whole thing is going to get wrapped up in a move of God. But the end is going to be so much greater. Come on now, somebody. And so much bigger. And so much stronger than the beginning. Because God saves the best for last. And it's been prophesied by men and women of God. It's been prophesied in this book that you're reading. That God will finish this thing strong. He's not going to go out with a whimper. He's not going to go out with the world winning. He's going to go out on top and the church leading this thing, and then he will come back. But he's not going to come back until there's a worldwide move of God revival that sees this planet change for the good. He's going to give everybody at least one chance before he comes back. And so we see that the church started in a move of God, and the church will end in a move of God. The greatest revival and move of God we have ever seen. Now it's been prophesied. You guys know this at our church. It's been prophesied in the Bible that the last time, last day revival is going to be the equivalent of all of the revivals in the past into one. 
So every great move of God in any country you've heard of, the healing revival, the the Holy Spirit revival, the faith revival, the teaching revival. There's been revivals all over the world in different places. The last time, the last day revival will be all of them combined into one. It's been prophesied also that all of the gifts of the Spirit that we read in the Bible are going to be working at its full power and full potential. It's been said that all the ministry gifts, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle, that they're going to be walking in their fullness and the body of Christ is going to be walking in their fullness. And the Bible says that we're all going to be in one accord, in unity, in a mature believers. All coming together before he comes back. But we have a part to play in that as individuals, but also as a church. And that's what I want to talk about today because there's a pattern when God moves. Now, there's a pattern when God moves on the earth, and this is the pattern. God has a will, and we have a will. And God will not override our will. But how many know God said to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? implying that his will is not automatically done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to get in agreement with his will for his will to happen in our lives. So there's a pattern that happens with the move and plan of God. God speaks his will and what he wants to happen, what he wants to do, the move of God he has planned, the revival he has planned, God speaks that out. Then he uses a human being, a man or a woman, to prophesy. Because we have to get in agreement with God's will and God's word. The thing is, God has given man dominion on the earth. So it's not good enough that he just spoke it. He has to use a human being to speak it too. You see, every move of God is preceded by people, not just prophets, But people that prophesy or they speak out what God has said and they say what God has told them about a coming move of God. Because man has to get in agreement with God for God's will to happen. So when we say prophecy, sometimes you hear that in the church. They're like, well, there's been prophecy spoken. Prophecies are only God will speak to somebody about what he wants to do in somebody else's life or what he wants to do in a church. But a person... Man or woman has to speak that out, what they hear from God. And that's prophecy. So we see that all throughout the Bible, the Bible is a book full of prophecies. You see prophet after prophet after prophet speaking out what God wanted to do, but it didn't happen until the prophet spoke it. And it's the same way with us. God wants to do something in this church in this region, and he's spoken a lot of things from different respected people that we honor, men and women of God, Dr. Dufresne, Pastor Nancy, people like that that we know are trustworthy, that they don't just say something to say something. They really heard from God. And there's been prophecies spoken about our church that are significant about us being a region-changing church, about the revival that's going to take place in this region, that there would be favor on our church, that we would influence this city and this region and this entire part of the state, this church. Talking about this church. And it's been spoken, but we have to get an agreement with God's will for God's will to happen. So here's the pattern. God will speak, but how does he speak? He speaks through people. 
He tells men and women of God what's going to happen, and they have to prophesy that. But it's not good enough for them to just prophesy it. We, as the people that have been prophesied to, have to get in agreement and become partners with God in his will. People have to partner with the prophecy for the prophecy to come to pass. People have to partner with God for his will to happen on the earth. We wonder why things a lot of times don't happen in the world and we're begging God and pleading with God. And God's saying, I'm waiting for you to partner with me. Because I'm moving and I want to do something, but I'm waiting on a man or woman to partner with me for my will to be done. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of thinking big of yourself. No, that's the level of dominion and authority that God has given us. And his word says that, and I'm going to give you a verse, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1. Look what it says, as God's partners. Other translations say, as God's co-workers or God's laborers are working together with God. So it's not just all God, but it's not just all us. We're working together with each other for his will to happen. Notice, as God's partners, that's what we are. We beg you to not accept this marvelous gift of God in kindness and then ignore it. But notice, as God's partners. So we have to partner with God's will for God's will to happen. We have to co-labor, co-work with it for the prophecy to come to pass. We have to get our will aligned with God's will for God's will to happen. Now, here's what most of us do. We want God's will to happen, but we don't want to change. And then we want the results of God's will to still happen, but we don't want to change. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. If you want God's will, your will is going to have to move. Your will is going to have to change. Your will is going to have to get in alignment with God's will for God's will to happen. No, we want the results of God's will, but we don't want to change. It doesn't work like that. We have to partner with him, co-labor with him, and work with him for his will to happen in our lives personally, but our lives as a church family. So we partner with God, and we do that by getting our words aligned with his will. Getting our prayers aligned with his wills. Getting our actions and our obedience in agreement with what he's saying. See, this is something I realized in, in my life. Growing up, I've been in church my whole life, and, I, and I've heard people prophesy left and right about everything under the sun. And I've seen a lot of prophecies come to pass, but I've also seen a lot that didn't come to pass. And you got to ask yourself, well, why did some work and some didn't work? Because this is what I feel like happens with a lot of us. You'll hear somebody get up, especially as a church. I'm, I'm talking to you more as a church right now than just individuals. And somebody will get up like myself or, or dad or another person and say, hey, God wants to move and he wants to do this and he wants to have revival and this is going to happen and this is going to be the best year. And we get in agreement with that mentally, but then we leave the service and we don't do anything different and we still expect the results to happen. So in reality, it's just wishful thinking that revival is eventually going to happen if we just hold on to the sweet by and by. It's not. And let me tell you, with our church, a lot of us have been staying there for a long time. It's wishful thinking. You're not in faith. You're not in agreement. Your will is not aligned with God's will. You just think just because somebody got up and prophesied this, that this is automatically going to happen. It's not. 
God's will only happens when all of ours, let me repeat that all in, when all of our wills come into alignment with his will. Our words, once again, our prayers, our obedience, our agreement, our actions change and get in his plan and not our plan. That's when his will happens. Not that just somebody prophesies and you're like, yeah, amen. And let's be honest, a lot of us in here have heard a lot of prophecies like that. And we wonder why stuff didn't happen and turn out the right way. Because that's all we did in service. Amen. That is service encouraged me. Okay. And the, and the prophecy never came to pass. And after a while, a lot of people start having a bad attitude towards prophecy. Because you're like, what didn't happen in my life? It's because you didn't do anything. No, I said you got to stay with me today. It's because we didn't do anything about it. And let's be honest, it's just wishful, hopeful thinking. Well, it's been 35 years, so I assume probably a prophecy is going to happen pretty soon, right, guys? It's been a long time. Not necessarily. I assume that God's going to move because it's just been, you know, a while. So he's probably going to move again. No, he's not. He's not going to move unless you do. See, that's our problem. We are all waiting on a move of God, but God's waiting on a move of man. We have it wrong a lot of times in our theology. The fact is, God's always waiting on us. But we feel better when we put it off on God, don't we? I'm just waiting on the Lord. Because you want to take the responsibility off yourself and onto God for the lack of results in your life. So it's easier to just throw it off on the sovereignty of God and if God's will will be done, it will be done. No, it won't. Because there's God's side and there's man's side. And our will has to get in alignment with God's will. And God is waiting on us. Hear me, church family. We are not waiting on God to have revival in this church. We are not waiting on God for the prophecies to come to pass. We are not waiting on God for a move of God. God is waiting on us. God is waiting on a move of man. And he says, if you move, I will move. If you will do something, I will do something. But you got to move first. He's already spoken. He's already done his part. It's time for us to do our part now. And God says, when you move, I will move. I love this quote I found recently. It says, you can either wait on the next move of God or decide you are the next move of God. And let me tell you, church, stop waiting. You are the next move of God. Stop looking for somebody to come rescue us and revival to drop on this church. You are the revival. You are the move of God. You are the plan of God in the earth. You are the will of God on your school. You are the will of God on your campus. You are the will of God at your job. I'm preaching better than you're responding. You are the will of God in your family. God is waiting on you. I'm just trying to save you some time and heartache because some of you will live and die and wonder why God did nothing, and he will say, because you did nothing. It's bad theology, and I know that's tradition. A lot of churches teach that, and it's false, 100% lie. 
You don't understand your Bible. You do not understand God when you just keep throwing it off on God. You don't. There's God's side and there's our side. And God has already moved. He's saying, I need you to move. He's waiting on a move of man. Now let's read this verse again in James 4 and verse 8. James 4 and verse 8. Notice what it says. Move your heart closer and closer to God. And he will come even closer to you. Notice who's first here. Who? Who's first? God? No, because God's sovereign and God's whatever will be will be in God's will. No. No, who's to say? You move your heart closer and closer to God. And notice what? He will come even closer and closer to you. Or we could say, move your heart into revival. And God will start revival in you. Move your heart into the move of God. And God will start moving in your life. Move your heart towards God. And God will do something. Some translations say, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. You have to move first. You have to move first. Listen to me, church. I know I'm repeating myself, and that's for teaching you this morning. God is waiting on us to move. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. And he says, move first. Move your heart closer first. Draw near to me first, and then I will draw near to you. Now, why does God do that? Because he gives you your own will. He's a gentleman. He's not invading your space if you don't want him in your space. He comes to those who want him. He comes to churches who want him. He starts revival in people that want him, that pursue him, that are passionate about him, that get their will aligned with God's will. He doesn't just show up anywhere. He doesn't just move in anybody's life. He moves in the people that want it from him and that move first. And do something first. God says, if you draw near to me, if you move close to me, I'm going to draw near to you. We are not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. Are you getting something this morning? He's waiting on us, church family. Now, this goes for your personal life, but also for us as a church. He's waiting on us because we are partnering with God and what he's doing. So, for our church, can I speak freely to you this morning? Say, you already did, Pastor. (laughs) Before we go any further, I want to share a little bit more about the move of God revival and the prophecies that are about this church. Now, recently I talked to some of the core team members of this church about the future and some things I was thinking and feeling. And I want to share a few of those things with you today. Because we're talking about this is a move. We're talking about the move of God talking about moving into his plan and to his purpose and seeing the prophecy spoken over our church come to pass it's important and I know that's the desire of our heart everyone in here you want God to move in your life there's nobody in there says yeah I don't really care no you really want God to move in your life but are you willing to do anything about it are you willing to move yourself into it are you willing to pray a little bit And to seek after him a little bit and get your will aligned with his will. Maybe start making some better decisions. Maybe start obeying what he's saying to you. Maybe start getting your actions aligned with the will that he wants to happen in your life. 
But I was thinking about this recently, and this is a word for our church family. There's been a lot of things spoken over our church in 35 years, and a lot of it has come to pass. But there's also some really big things that haven't happened yet. Prophecies like you're going to be a region change in church. Prophecies like you're going to change this region. There's going to be favor on you with the city, with the community. There's going to be revival in that whole region of the state through your church. That's been spoken over our church. And when we hear a prophecy like that, it's not just for me. Because some of you got the, right, the wrong mindset here. You're thinking, well, that's good for you, Pastor. No, God gives prophecies to a church to accomplish this, not just an individual. So that's not my prophecy. That's our prophecy. I think I need a little bit better. Amen. That's our prophecy. And so if he wants to move, he, he wants to get a group of people together that will accomplish the will and the plan of God. But recently, thinking about this, I was so stirred up thinking about the prophecies and the plan of God for our church. And I know some of you could say, well, pastor, you're always a little wild. You're always a little passionate. I don't apologize for that. That's just the way I am. And you need that. And I need that. If you're not serving God with passion, what the heck are you doing anyways? Just go home and do something else with your life. No, serve God with some passion, with some energy, with some excitement. Do it the right way to get the right results out of it. But I know I've heard this recently from several people. They said, Pastor, you seem different. You seem like you're a little bit more urgent than you used to be, even though you were pretty urgent back then. The truth is I am. And I'll tell you why I am, because I'm stirred up like never before that God has given us a window of time to fulfill what he has on this church. And that time frame is closing. And God has given us a window and an opportunity of time because we only have a certain amount of time on this planet to do something for God. And if we don't accomplish his will in that time, guess what God will do? He will choose another church that will do it. He will choose other people that will listen to him. Because his will will still be done with us or without us. The most sobering thing that you could think of today is you can't stop a move of God, but you can miss it. And I want to let you know, for me, in my house, we're going to move with God. For me, in this house, we're not going to miss it. For me, in this house, we're going to be right in the middle of what God is doing on the earth today. Come on now, I need amen in the house of God. And that's why I got some urgency, because we have this window as a church, if we don't move... God will move somewhere else. He will use somebody else. He will do something with somebody else. And we will be left out because of our own choices, our own stubbornness, our own pride. But God says, I prophesied these things over this church because I feel like that you guys can do this. I feel like you're the right fit to change this region and change this community. That's why I've spoken so many words to Church on the Rock. Let's prove God right that he chose the right church. 
That he talked to the right people. That he talked to some willing people. Come on now, somebody. That he talked to some hungry people. That he talked to some passionate people. That he talked to some people that want to be a part of what he's doing. And it's significant. We're not going to miss it. So why do I have some urgency? Because our window is closing, so we got to move. All of you in here need to put your running shoes on. Because we got to move now. There's no more time to waste. There's no more time to wait another year. There's no more time to wait five years. We have to move right now. I have 50% of you looking like, what the heck are you saying, and 50% with me. We got to move. No more church as usual. No more worship as usual. No more preaching as usual. No more classrooms as usual. This needs to happen now. Listen, I'll run around the church if you don't. It needs to happen now. Because we go move. If you want church as usual, worship as usual, a sermonette, a cigarette, and a gospel quartet, this is not the church for you. Because we're going to move. No offense to those churches. I have friends in all those churches. I'm just saying. We're going to move with what God is doing. Because it matters. Because people matter. This region matters. People being saved matters. People being healed matters. People being delivered matters. This region matters. And there's not a lot of churches preaching what we're preaching. And they need a church when they come into. It's not just worship as usual. There is a tangible presence of God in this place. They need to get up, and when they hear the sermon, it's not just this guy just read this out of a book last week, and he's just trying to preach something. No, they're hearing the voice of God speaking to them, and it's changing them from the inside out. Not just another sermon. They need to know that they could come to a place that if they're sick and in need, that they could get healed, and nobody says, well, just go to the doctor and figure it out. They need to know that when you come to church and you're tormented in your mind and you're depressed and anxious, we don't just say, get on drugs and go to a therapist. We say, come out in the name of Jesus. Let's believe in the power of God around here, church. I'm saying more than you're responding today. (laughs) This community and this region needs what we have now once again i'm not saying what i have i'm saying what we have what all of us have together they need us they need you life group leaders they need you worship team they need you kids in the class they need you greeters they need you church family not just me they need us that's why he put us here that's why he's prophesied these this so many prophecies to us because he needs what we got. And we're going to get in alignment with his perfect will. So, urgency. Urgency. Stir yourself up this morning. Urgency. You got to realize, think about this. There's people that could come in here and this could be their last time at church. Most of us don't think of it in that term. We think, well, we got next week. You might not have next week. 
The person coming in might not have next week. You got to worship like this could be the last time somebody's here. We got to praise God like it could be the last time somebody's here. We got to preach like it might be the last shot that they got. We got to do church as a family like it might be the last opportunity somebody's given God. Stop thinking we got more chances than we do. We don't. The Bible says make the most of every opportunity. And that's what we need to do it as a church family because that window is closing. Now, I know I'm speaking some things prophetically. That's why I sound stronger today. But you need to hear what I'm saying. Because it's going to change your life and it's going to change this church. We need to move. We got to. We have to. God is waiting on us. Everything is ready, church. We don't have to wait on anything. That's encouraging news. We already have buildings. We have land. We have ministry of helps teams. We have finances. We got a great worship team. We got all of you here. We got a good pastor. (laughs) Joking, kind of. (laughs) Everything's ready. So why isn't it happening? It's waiting on us. Waiting on us to start doing church as usual. To just stop showing up and acting like we got another shot this next week. Same old, same old. Why isn't it happening? He's waiting on us to change our hearts and to change our attitudes and to change our thinking and to humble ourselves before God. Get our will Align with his will, with our words, with our prayers, with our obedience, with our actions. And then God's will will happen. I want to give you two things today before we leave are the first steps into a move of God. The first one I'm going to talk about is repentance. You know, a lot of times people, when they quote Jesus, especially people that don't even know the Bible. They always love bringing up the verses about Jesus loved everyone and healed everyone. Yes, he did. But actually the most thing, the the thing he preached about most in his earthly ministry was repent. I love it when non-believers try to quote the Bible to believers. Jesus just said he loves, actually he said repent more than any of those things. So, and repentance means you're wrong. (gasps) I said that in 2020 in a culture that magnifies their thoughts and feelings as absolute truth in their life. That my truth is the ultimate truth in life and no one can tell me any different. Talk about nonsense. No. Repentance means you're wrong. Just here to encourage you guys today. Repentance implies that you're not God. And you need to change. How's that feel? Feel good? It's true. And the truth is, 
I'm wrong. Your pastor, Jordan Jacobs, is wrong in some areas in his life. And I need to repent. I'm not God, and I'm not perfect. No one is. And the first step into revival for individuals and for a church is repentance. You have to humble yourself before God and say, God, I'm wrong. That's the reason a lot of times God can't move in your life because you think you're still right. And you're not. And until you drop that pride, God will never move in your life. I was thinking about this verse in the Bible. Some of you recognize it. God says, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You have to be humble if you want revival. You have to be humble if you want God to move in your life. You have to be humble to repent and realize you are wrong. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong to condemn yourself. But to change. That's a difference. And we all have to be honest enough in our lives to say, maybe I'm talking wrong. Here's a big one for most of you. Maybe I'm thinking wrong. Well, I've always thought this way. Yeah, and you've been wrong your whole life. Well, my family's always thought this way. Yeah, your family's full of the devil. They've been wrong their whole life too. Notice, if you get defensive when I say that, you're not humble. I got some whack people in my family too. They are 100% wrong. I don't mind saying that. And I'm wrong too. So if we want revival, repentance comes before a move of God. So we have to be humble, though, to repent. Repentance in the Bible, it means a lot of things, but some of the basic definitions of it, it means to change. Specifically, a lot of times it implies to change the way you're thinking. One of my favorite ones is in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Repentance means to change your direction. Because some of you have been going a wrong way for a long time. And what is repentance? Repentance is not, I'm sorry. Repentance is, I'm sorry. <laughs> One of the definitions I love, it says, to return home. Because some of you, in your thinking, in your attitude, in your heart, in your words, in a lot of areas, you're wrong. You don't have to admit it to me, but to God you do. And when you repent, it's not just, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I need to change. It's, God, I'm sorry, and I'm coming back home. And I'm changing my direction. And I'm changing my thinking. And when you do that, God will bring a move of God and revival into your life. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Can I give you a few verses? Acts 3.19 in the Weymouth translation. It says, repent. Therefore, and reform your lives so that the record of your sins may be canceled and that there may be 
seasons of revival from the Lord. Notice what he says. Repent and change. And then seasons of revival will come from the presence of the Lord. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 in the New Living says, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Notice what it says. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble. And notice, revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So what does he say he's going to do to people that repent? He's going to revive you. That's revival. God is with those who have a broken spirit. God is with those who have a humble heart. God is with those who are repentant in their heart and in their mind and in their actions. Repentance comes before revival. Repentance comes before a move of God. Now, I know this is not hollering, amen, that's good preaching type of talk, but it's actually some of the most important stuff that you could ever hear. And repentance is not a one-time thing. Some of y'all thought you got that one time at the altar. But you know what? Every week, I say I'm sorry to God about some area. And if you don't, check your heart. Doesn't mean you're out just blowing it, doing these big, bad, nasty sins. It's called you spoke unkindly to somebody. Say, God, I'm sorry for that. I repent. Maybe you're thinking a wrong way all week long. Maybe you're just negative and critical of everyone all the time in your thinking. And God brings it up to me. You know what I say? I'm sorry. I'm going to change. And you know what happens? When you repent, that gives God permission to move in your life. When you repent, then times of refreshing comes. When you repent, then times of revival comes. But you got to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry and I'm wrong. And then take the next step. Turn your direction. Turn in your direction and go back home. Turn in your direction and change. Not just apologize, but say, God, I'm going to do something different. Humility is the most attractive quality to God because he can move in your life. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You guys getting something this morning? The next thing I want to talk about is prayer. and We're going to close with this. James 5 and verse 16 in the New Living Translation says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that your sins may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I want to talk about prayer for a moment here. And before we do, I have a challenge to you. At the end of this month, February 23rd, it's a Sunday. That Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a church-wide prayer meeting. And I'm going to challenge you today. If you're serious about your church moving forward, if you're serious about your life moving forward, we're going to pray that night 
and we're going to worship. So the end of the month, the last Sunday, the 23rd at 6 o'clock, we're going to be here praying as a church family. So I'm going to talk about prayer for a second because repentance comes before a move of God, but prayer comes before a move of God. Since the prayers of a righteous person makes tremendous power available and produces wonderful results. Prayer moves the plan of God forward in your life and also in your church. Prayer moves his plan forward. So if there is no prayer, there is no plan moving forward. John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Notice he does nothing because we have to get our will aligned with his will. So prayer moves the plan of God forward. We must pray out the move of God. We must pray out the revival. We must pray out what God wants to do in our lives for his will to happen. Prayer is getting our will aligned with his. Speaking out not just random things, but speaking out what he's spoken to us. Praying out the words he's spoken to us. You could just write this down, but in 1 Timothy 1, 18-19, Paul tells Timothy to wage a good warfare with the prophecies that have been spoken to you. He tells this son in the faith, Timothy, that it's not good enough that I just prophesied all this great stuff over you, Timothy. You're going to have to fight a battle for those prophecies to come to pass in your prayer life. Because how many know when God speaks something out, the enemy hears that too. And that's why he says, it's not good enough that you've just been prophesied over as an individual, as a church. It's not going to happen unless you fight for it. Unless you wage a spiritual war against the enemy because the enemy is going to come to stop it. He's going to come to hinder it. He's going to come to stop the plan of God in your life. And you have to fight for the prophecies to happen in our life. The resistance that we have gotten as a church is not by accident. It's because of the call. The battles we fought as a church are not by accident. It's because of the prophecies. Because the enemy knows the prophecies better than you. And that's why he tells Timothy, you need to fight for these prophecies. You need to wage a spiritual battle with these prophecies by prayer for them to be accomplished in our life. So as a church, I'm asking you, because we want to move in God's plan, we're going to need to pray. We're going to need to repent if we want God to move in our lives. Because prayer moves the plan of God forward. I love this. A.W. Tozer said this, to desire revival and at the same time neglect prayer is to wish one way and walk another. It's easy to say we want it at church. But what about on a Saturday afternoon, God says, could you pray for what's happening at your church? No, I'm busy. Then you don't want it. God says, hey, maybe your pastor's struggling right now. Why don't you pray for him? I got stuff to do. 
But then we come back on Sunday. Oh, I want the plan of God. I want the move of God. I want revival. But you don't talk to God all week. You don't want it. You you want the results of it. But you don't want to do what it takes to get there. That's why he says to desire revival and neglect prayer is to wish one way and walk another. I want to share one last story with you before we close today. I appreciate you guys listening to me. And it's about this Old Testament prophet called Elijah. So Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he lived at the time that there was a king and queen in his country that were very evil, Ahab and Jezebel. Some of you have heard of those names. And because of how evil they were, God told Elijah to speak. Why? Because he has to use a man to speak. And he told Elijah, I want you to pray that there will be no rain for three and a half years. And he did. And there was no rain because of the judgment of God for three and a half years. But I want us to pick up the story at the end. Still talking about prayer this morning. 1 Kings 18 and verse 41. 1 Kings 18 and verse 41. Listen to what this says. Talking about prayer and revival today. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Can we go back to that verse for one second? There's so much in these verses. Notice that. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. He said, go eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Stop. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. They probably forgot what rain looked like. And Elijah, hearing from God, prophesying what was going to happen, says, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. I want to say this to you today. A lot of times when God speaks something, it looks the complete opposite at the time you're speaking it. Well, pastor, we got 200 people at church, and you're talking about a region-changing church. When God speaks something to you, it usually looks like the opposite of what is really happening. Because you say, well, in this church, it looks like it hadn't rained in three and a half years. And I'm telling you, as a prophet of God, I hear the rainstorm coming. Now, notice what this next verse said. Oh, this is too good. This verse. 1 Kings 18, 42. So Ahab went to eat and drink. Even an ungodly man believed him. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground. And notice, he prayed. Why? Because we're talking about prayer today. We're talking about prayer moves the plan of God forward. Repentance and prayer causes revival to happen. Notice he prayed with his face between his knees. Next verse. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Next verse. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud 
about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab, tell him, climb into your chariot and go back. Go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Next verse. And soon, the sky was black with clouds, and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Now, what's the significance in this, these verses? Well, notice what he said. He got down. He heard from God. He spoke those words, but then he prayed. And he prayed for it to rain. Because rain in the Bible is always a type of revival. It's always a type of the move of God. It's always a type of the outpouring of God. It's always a type of refreshing. It's always a type of what God is doing. So when he talks about rain in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it's talking about revival. So he spoke out what he wanted to happen. But then he got down and he prayed it out. And that's what we're going to do as a church family. And then it goes on and it says, he told his servant to go look. Go look, go see what's happening. And he kept telling him about it and he said, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Some of you are like that this morning. Ye of little faith. I don't see what you're talking about, Pastor. Keep looking. I don't see revival, Pastor. Keep looking. I don't see the move of God. Keep looking. I don't see God doing anything in my life. Keep looking. I don't see revival in God's plan happening. Keep looking. And it says on the seventh time. Because seven in the Bible is always the number of completion and the number of perfection. It's also the number of God. Because six is the number of man and seven is the number of God. Because six, you can't do it, but seven, God can do it. And when God gets in to what he's doing, God is the only one who's going to do this in our church. If you want revival, God is the only one who's going to be able to do it. If you want the move of God, God is going to be, have to be the only one to do it. If we want to reach and change the church, it's going to have to be all God. And it says on the seventh time, he said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. So not very big. Not very significant. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? And some of you have said the same thing about our church. Yeah, yeah. Pastor, are you up in my prayer closet? Yes, I am. Got a few hundred people at Church on the Rock. How do we get from that to a region change in church? God. Us and God working together, that's how. But I don't see it. Or even if I do see it, it's small, it's insignificant, it's not very big. Pastor, I, I'm just not, I'm not seeing it like you are. Can we, can we go back to these verses for a second? Let me do Vimy verse 43. Let's go to 44. Finally. Come on, you didn't go home, did you? We're getting to the best part here. Finally, the seventh time, 
His servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab, tell him, climb into his chariot and go back. Go back home. Notice if you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Verse 45, I love this, and No, what's that verse say? And. And. Come on, I need to hear you a little bit louder. And. So it went from a little cloud to and soon. (laughs) How's God going to do it? He can do a quick work. He can do a quick thing. Don't doubt God what he can do. I saw a little cloud and soon there was a heavy rainstorm. And I saw church on the rock one week. But then I saw it the next week. Did you see them last year? Oh, did you see them this year? And soon. Come on, I got one person who believes me. And soon. The sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And rain is revival. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. I don't see it. Small. It's insignificant right now. I know. Keep looking. Keep praying. Keep believing. Because you know why? And soon. Come on, half of you believe me. I need 100% of you to believe me. And soon. It only works for people that believe. So those of you who don't believe in here, it won't happen for you. It'll just happen for the believers. And soon. I need some people that are going to get into agreement with me in their heart right now, in their faith. And soon. You might even say, Pastor, I don't even see what you're talking about, but I believe it. And soon. And soon. And soon there was a heavy rainstorm. And I'm going to raise you one more verse just because you need to hear it. Because we read a verse earlier that said in James, the prayers of a righteous person makes tremendous power available. It's amazing when you read those verses, the next couple verses, who it gives an example for, for our prayer life. Guess who it is? James 5 and verse 16. Now this is New Testament, New Covenant. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah. Elijah, now after talking about prayer producing something, Elijah was a human as we are, as all of you are in here. He wasn't anything special. He was just a human being like you. Yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Verse 18. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. (laughs) Of all people, James could have chose anybody in the Bible to use as an example for prayer. And he chose the man who prayed for rain. The man that he said right before that, the righteous person, their prayers make tremendous power available, produce wonderful results. And he says, and let me give you a good example. Elijah was a person just like you. And God listened to his prayers. 
and shut up the heavens for three and a half years. But then when he prayed again, it rained. And that rain was revival. Revival. 